we're going to talk about the ease of compromise. It is very easy to compromise. And so I want to bring your attention to that today. We're going to talk about how our attention drifts so easily. We fix our hearts on lesser things. We often lack spiritual depth and formation. And the further we drift, the easier it is to stay distant. Who we are is informed and shaped by uh, what we spend our time doing, who we spend our time around, what we consume. All of those things help to create and shape us into who we are. And we can't be surprised, right, if we go to the grocery store and buy junk food and then come home and expect healthy meal options, right? Like, we bought the junk food. <laughs> right? We don't have the healthy meal options because we didn't buy the healthy meal options. <laughs> so we can't be surprised by that. What we put into ourselves, what we consume matters, and it shows up. Today, as we talk about compromises, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So when I say the word compromise, I am not referring to it as a noun, which is defined like this, a settlement of differences by mutual concessions, an agreement reached by adjustment of conflicting or opposing claims by reciprocal modification of demands. Nope. <laughs> God does not make concessions for his standards for us. He does not change. His word remains the same. It's us who make concessions. It's us who modify things to fit the way that we want to live. And so today we're looking at the word compromise as a verb, which is defined like this. To expose or make vulnerable to danger, to jeopardize, to make a dishonorable or shameful concession. That's where we're going today. Whether you realize it or not, the word matters. Just like gravity, it exists. So you cannot believe in gravity, but it's still there. And you cannot believe the scripture, but it still exists and it still affects your life. I teach the children that we are all part of the big God story, right? The word is God's big story to us, and it takes us from creation all the way to new creation. The Bible is the narrative for the world. It is not just a book about morality or a book on religion. The Bible is so much more. It is alive and active. It has the power to change us, to transform our lives as we consume it and let him change us. God's word is put together on purpose. It is there for our benefit. Let's not neglect it. I wanna make an example right now of a pilot. So let's picture a pilot. They do all the work they need to to get their certifications and the title pilot, they study their manuals, they're ready to go, they take the exam, and then they're all set. Well, let's imagine that that pilot never looks back at those manuals, uh, doesn't take any more classes on how to improve what they're doing, um, just kind of relies on their memory. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to fly in that plane. <laughs> I don't want to be part of that crew, I don't want to be a passenger because I'd be a little nervous 
about that pilot because they're just kind of neglecting what they had learned before, previously, right? They're not ever improving their knowledge. Or for argument's sake, let's say they do pay attention to the manual. They do read it, right? They do go back to it on a regular basis, but they decide, eh, that part, that portion of the manual, I, I don't really like it. So I'm just gonna do my own thing instead. I don't think that, that part's very good. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make up my own stuff on how to, plane, uh, how to fly this plane. So um, I, you know, I read a great mystery novel last week. There was some stuff about flying in there. I think I'm gonna take that. And I read an article about bird flight patterns. Let me take a little piece of that. My friend went flying to Bermuda last week. I'll, I'll take a little piece of her experience and I'll just shove it all together. And that's how I'm gonna learn how to fly this plane, right? As a pilot. Yeah, I see some grins because you know that that's ridiculous, right? They might be a pilot in title, but they are not representing a pilot well, and they're not doing a good job of embodying what a healthy and safe pilot should be doing. So now let's switch it up. It's not a pilot, it's a Christian. Do we read God's word? Do we sit with it? Do we allow it to change our lives? Or is it something we hear every once in a while when we come to church service? Or we pick it up every once in a while at home, but we don't really allow it to sink in or change who we are, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we interact with others. Are we just a Christian in title? Or, we, or are we a follower of Christ with all that that embodies and looks like? I hope for these next few minutes that you'll allow yourself to be challenged to consider a few questions. Do you read God's word? Do you make concessions to scripture if you don't like what it's saying? Do you allow it to inform and shape your life? If you're already feeling a little uneasy or your feathers are getting a little ruffled, don't worry, you are not alone. People, human beings, have made concessions since like the beginning of time. You are not alone at all. If we look back to the Old Testament, we see the Israelites do that. The Israelites were delivered by God out of slavery in Egypt Miraculously, they see him move on their behalf, part the Red Seas, the whole bit, and then they get to this point where they go, yeah, nah, that's not quite good enough. We need a little something different. They get to this point where they're annoyed at the speed at which God is going. He's talking to Moses, and they're like, yeah, it's just taking too long. Like, this is kind of ridiculous. We need something else. So let's look at Exodus 32, 1 through 4. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to that fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, sons, and daughters, and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings out of their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land 
of Egypt. I mean, literally mind-boggling, right? They just saw God take them out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> it was not that calf. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? But before we get too judgmental, right, we're gonna look at Galatians, because there's another moment of another set of believers kind of does the same thing. Galatians 3, 2 through 5. Paul is a bit blunt here with the believers when he says this. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Of course not. It is because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Paul is very direct in what he's saying to the Galatians here. He is calling them foolish because they were embracing a doctrine that said Jesus dying on the cross was unnecessary. You can do this on your own. Like, you can believe that maybe, but you also need works. You've got to earn your salvation. And Paul's like, guys, no. That is not the truth. That is not what was preached to you when you were saved. Like, you know better. You know better. You know the truth. Why? Why are you doing this? He's getting a little exasperated, and I kind of love that because I sometimes get a little exasperated, so I can connect with Paul there for a moment, right, where he's just like, what is going on? All you need is the cross of Christ. That is it. You cannot do works. You cannot earn your way into heaven. And when you look at the sacrifice of Jesus but add something else in, Paul's saying, uh-uh, if you are supplementing, you are supplanting. And that is not okay. That is unacceptable. And that's why he's so harsh with them. That's why he's kind of giving them a tongue lashing, right? They thought they could have a more complete salvation. But they were wrong. And Paul argued that with them. There's only one way. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. I think that Paul could literally be saying this to us today in 2022 because we're the same way, right? We look for ways to attain perfection by our own efforts. I mean, really, we are a culture, a nation that is obsessed with control and achievement. We just, we thrive on those things. We wanna be in control, we wanna do what we gotta do to get where we wanna go because we want that control. We want to be in charge of ourselves. It feels a little better that way sometimes, doesn't it? But the gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, taking on that punishment, exposes the reality that there is absolutely nothing you can do to earn righteousness. You only have right standing with God because of Jesus, nothing else. Nothing else. So we see from the impatient, doubting Israelites in the desert to the merit-desiring Galatians to our self-sufficient lives today, all compromises are of no help 
to our lives. They get us nowhere. And each of those examples illustrate how easily our attention can be shifted to solutions that we deem beneficial. We decide, yeah, that's going to work. But it won't because it's not Jesus, the creator and the sustainer of our lives. We fix our hearts on lesser things. So although we're a people who like to be in control and like to be accomplished, we're also natural loophole finders, right? Have you ever asked any of these questions? Uh, what's the cheat code for this game? Hmm, what is it? How can I get more for less? How can I eat what I want and still look the way I want, <laughs> right? Our tendency is to look for shortcuts, but our relationship with Jesus should never, ever be one of the things that we are shortcutting or neglecting. One of the areas of compromise that I see in my own life is instead of going to God, the one who has the sole ability to align my life in perfect truth, peace, and hope, is that I go to lesser things. I think most of us can probably identify different areas of our lives where we have fixed our hearts, our attentions, our desires, our energy on endeavors that are, simply put, not Jesus. We try to gain peace, fulfillment, comfort, identity from a multitude of options. And I want to be clear for a moment here that I'm not saying that all of those things are bad. Some of those things we fill our time with and fill our hearts with are not inherently evil. And so that's why it's hard. That's why it's easy to compromise. Because the little bell doesn't go off in our head that, oh, that's sin, right? No. It's a gradual shifting. It is very easy to do. But the reality is that if there is something other than our Savior that we are, that we are using to try to fill a need, it has become a false god to us. And ultimately, it will fall short, and we will be left empty. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys for a moment and let you in on one of the areas that God revealed to me that was unhealthy in my life. Now, if you know me well, you already know this about me. I love Hallmark movies. Yep, I know. Let the laughter begin. Let the mockery from some of you begin. I get it, <laughs> okay? I know it's the same story every time, and I know, <laughs> you know, it ends the same every time. That's part of why I like them. <laughs> it's just comforting. <laughs> Right? It is the same story, and everything can be going wrong, but in those last 15 minutes, it's going to work out, right? Everything's going to be okay with the world, and whew, I just get that little sigh of relief, right? Like, okay, we got this. So this past Christmas and into January, God really convicted my heart of uh, how much Hallmark <laughs> I was consuming. <laughs> I, I know, laugh it up, it's okay. <laughs> Uh, I was really just using Hallmark as a go-to, right? A go-to for stability or just some kind of comfort in the craziness of life. I know, I can just wrap this up real fast and go, oh, everything's tidy. <laughs> okay, that's good. And so I was literally, instead of going to my Savior for peace and comfort from the stresses in this world, I was watching love movies, as Abby would call them, my Abby. Watch another love movie, Mom? Yep, yep I am. <laughs> and it might seem ridiculous to some of you that I am calling out my habit of watching Hallmark a sin, 
But for me, it was. It absolutely was. Because it took my attention, it took my time, and it literally took my expectations away from God and placed them on a movie. A false God that cannot fulfill my deepest need and desires for just peace and comfort in life's stress. Now for you, it might not be Hallmark. (laughs) Maybe for most of you, it's not Hallmark. (laughs) Uh, But it might be what you're consuming. Maybe it's the content of what you're consuming. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's your bank account, a certain relationship, food, a substance that you're dependent on to fill a need. Whatever it is that you're filling a need for in your life that is not your creator, is a false god. And we cannot expect a false or counterfeit god to do what only the one true God can. In fact, I'd say we have to be so proficient in our knowledge of who God is and who we are in him that we can spot those counterfeits that come our way because they're usually wrapped up beautifully, nice and neat, like a Hallmark movie. So sometimes they're uneasy to identify. It's hard to see that it's a false God. It's hard to see that it's a counterfeit unless we are rooted in scripture and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that I saw my unhealthy need for Hallmark. And in case any of you are wondering, I did go on a Hallmark fast and I'm okay now. (laughs) I I consume it at a much lower rate. (laughs) And now that you all know, around Christmas time, you can be accountability partners with me, right? You watching too much Hallmark, Julie? (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) But truthfully, one of the reasons that uh, Hallmark movies are able to wrap up so neatly is because they lack depth, right? They're not very deep. Uh, And the devastating reality is that many who label themselves Christians lack depth. We often lack spiritual depth and formation. So unfortunately, a lot of people who label themselves Christians or Christ followers are really unfamiliar with Christ. If you're not well acquainted with Jesus, if you only read the Bible randomly here and there, you don't listen for his voice, are you a Christian just in title and not in how you embody the Savior? I want to challenge you today to consider your own spiritual depth. How are you developing and formulating your spirituality? If it's not based on biblical truth, then it's merely human reasoning, and that is not reliable. Ideas can be hard to manage because they come at us at a fast pace these days and from many different sources. I recently read a book and it's called The Practical or A Practical Guide to Culture. It's really good and I would suggest it for everybody to read and check out A Practical Guide to Culture. In it they say this, if we can't master ideas, ideas will master us. If we passively absorb the information around us, someone else is thinking for us. Let's wake up, church. Let's not let other people do our thinking for us, right? Let's be rooted in the word and listening for the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi should be ours as well. 
In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, it says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. That understanding that Paul is talking about, we call discernment. The ability to distinguish what is false from what is true, what is genuine versus what is counterfeit. Um, My youth pastor always said to us, when the FBI and the CIA and all those people were studying to find counterfeit money, they didn't study the counterfeits, there's like billions of those. They studied the real thing. You study the real dollar bills so you know what they look like and that way when you see a counterfeit, you immediately know, oh, it's not the real one, right? We have to do the same thing. We have to know God's word so that we can have a biblical worldview. In 1940, not long after its completion, the Tacoma Bridge in Washington suffered a fatal collapse due to several design flaws. So it is said that this bridge, which was only 39 feet wide, only two lanes of traffic, um, was not built well. And people could tell because it would rock side to side, and evidently it would flap up and down. I mean, that's a little terrifying, right? I would not want to drive on that bridge at all. In fact, its nickname was Galloping Gertie. Uh, Nope, gonna go a different way, right? Like, no thank you. It was literally completed in July and collapsed in November. Not long. It did not last long. It clearly was not structured well. It did not stand up to the pressures that it faced. In the same way that the Tacoma Bridge caved and fell into the water below it, I want to challenge you to consider your spiritual foundation. Is it strong enough to withstand the constant cultural pressures and even disdain for a biblical worldview? Maybe the better question is, do you have a biblical worldview? And how devoted are you to it? Remember that pilot example from earlier, where they took what they want of their own and just kind of pieced it all together? The more that we pick and choose what we want to believe or follow from scripture, the more distorted our faith becomes until it just does not resemble its founder, Jesus. And the further we drift off course, the easier it is to stay distant. We become very comfortable and even confident in our compromises. So we often go hiking and our middle son Isaiah, who is six, loves to go off the trail. He loves to just go explore, check out what's over there, not on the path. And so we honestly always remind him, get on the path, buddy, come on, stay on the trail. Um, And he'll do it for a little while, he'll course correct for a little bit, but then veer off again. And one time he veered off so far that he was in kind of some thicker woods and uh, fell and called out for help. So some, you know, undergrowth of some sort, roots, I don't know what it was, had wrapped around his ankle and had caused him to fall. Well, that was not pleasant for him, he did not like it, and now he knows the importance of staying on the path, at least for the rest of that hike. Um, He does not do it all the time. Um, Yesterday we went to Tinker Falls and we were so thankful he did stay on the path for that one. 
Probably the cliff helped him with that, <laughs> visually seeing the cliff and how important it is to stay on the path. But remember, our attention drifts so easily. So like my six-year-old, my attention drifts so easily. And then once you're off the path, it's just easy to stay there, right? It's just easier to just kind of keep going your own way. The attention of the Israelites in the desert was taken off of the goodness of God and their hearts started to desire a quick fix, right? How can we ease our worry? Because Moses isn't coming back. They had a constant cycle, right, of rebellion, repentance, restoration, rebellion, repentance, restoration, and so on and so on. It just kept going and going and going over and over again. And we do too. Aren't you thankful today that God never says, all right, enough is enough. As a mom, I would probably say, enough is enough, (laughs) right? Cut it out. Thankfully, our Savior does not do that. He continues to restore. He continues to bring us back. For 40 years, the uh, Israelites wandered in the desert and then finally made it to the promised land. And we see this moment, God's reminding them, keep your hearts, keep your eyes fixed on me. In Judges, we see that things had changed. The Israelites who had been delivered by God had passed away and future generations did not have that same understanding or connection with God. In Judges 2, 10 through 12, it says this, after that generation had died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. There was a generation of Israelites who did not acknowledge God and follow him. They didn't see the mighty works of God, and so maybe they just said, he's the God of Moses. Maybe they never really personalized God in their life. Have we drifted to a similar place, not acknowledging God in our daily lives, our daily decisions, the way that we move about our day? Have you personalized your relationship with God, or is he the God of your parents, the God of your grandparents, the God of this church, the God of a friend you have? Because it's much easier to deny someone that you are not close with. It is very hard to look into the eyes of a loved one and reject them. That is not easy to do. And so I'm suggesting that we keep God at arm's length. Because that is a lot easier to tell him no to what he wants us to do if we are not close. If we've kept him out here. We want to live in the ease of compromise. But we're missing out on the beauty of God's loving conviction that has the ability to bring about full life. Sin can often feel very comfortable, like a rationalized habit or just a personal preference we have. That is why it's vital to be rooted in God's word, to know what it says, to be biblically fluent, and able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit leading us. Next week, we're gonna hear more about the beauty of conviction. So don't worry, I'm not gonna just leave you with compromises. We're gonna come back to God's conviction and how beautiful it is. But for today, as we wrap up, I'd like us to examine our hearts. Where is it currently? And where does it have the tendency to wander? Where is our heart wandering? Who or what? 
is the Lord of your life today? Have you compromised areas of your life and drifted yourself right out of alignment with God's word? I believe it's really important to apply what we learn right away. Because if not, we're gonna forget about it. <laughs> so for the next few minutes, what we're gonna do is you're gonna take the paper that was on your seat and we're gonna do a little work. Julie will stop talking and we'll listen to God's voice. <laughs> I think it's very important to, to know that we don't just drift into godliness. That's not really how it works. It's very easy to drift and compromise away from godliness. But to develop spiritually, we have to put in a little hard work. And this is one of those disciplines, to quiet ourselves and focus in on what the Holy Spirit is saying. So I'm asking you to ask, listen, write, and discern. Ask God to reveal whatever he wants to today. Listen for his answer. Write down everything that comes to mind. Any thought that you have, just write it down. And then last, discern. You go back, look at everything you wrote down, and decide. Is that me? Is that God? Or is that the enemy of my soul tempting me and veering me off to make some kind of compromise? That's discernment. You take those thoughts and you figure out, who is that? Who's saying that to me? Am I just hungry and that's why I wrote down pizza? <laughs> is it someone's name that came to my mind? Well, that's probably the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to talk with that person. Maybe you need to pray for that person. I always tell the kids, if it's, when I get back home, I'm gonna punch my brother because he stole my Legos. That's very easy, guys. That's not the Lord. <laughs> that is definitely the enemy, <laughs> right? But that's how we discern. We look at the thoughts we're having and we, we line them up. Now, some of you might be going, yeah, but like, how do I know it's God? Is it biblical? Does it match what his word says? Then it's God. You hear from God. So cool. So amazing that our creator speaks to us. Thank you.